Hello and welcome to The Fandamentalist, the fandom podcast investigating all aspects of geeky media. Welcome to the I Disappoint Dad Club. I've spent my life trying to build something here. Growing up, a non-white, non-straight girl in Blue Springs, Nebraska. I wouldn't wish to excite your anticipation. I never asked to be made! You're exactly the hero I wanted you to be. The theme song you just heard is Good Riddance by Ars Sonar, which is available on the Free Music Archive. My name is Kylie, and here with me are Gretchen. Hello! And Julia. Hello, gang! And the three of us write for thefandamentals.com, exploring the fundamentals of fandom. So we are going to start off this podcast like we do with fandom news. Fandom being like, you know, geeky space, all that kind of junk. So geeky space. Unfortunately, (laughs) it's 2017, but celebrities didn't magically stop dying. No, we lost Mary Tyler Moore today, which eight years old, which is the 25th. That's the day we're recording. It's 25th of January. Yeah, so, yeah, if you, if, you know, it'll be, what, that was a Wednesday, last Wednesday, if you're listening to this on Monday. Uh, yeah, I mean, she's, you know, I don't know if you guys watch the Mary Tyler Moore show. Uh, my mother made me watch a bunch of episodes when I was, like, four, and boy, is that not something a four-year-old wants to watch. Yeah, you were <laughs> watching very age-inappropriate things. <laughs> Oh my god, dude, you have no idea. There are no boundaries in my house. Like, my cousin Vinny was a staple of our household. My cousin Vinny and Midnight Run, which for, well, for anyone who doesn't know, fuck is probably said every other word in both of these films. And those were like staples of my home when I was five. Wow, you grew up in a very different home than I did. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I have no filters in real life. (laughs) I grew up in a kind of home where we would have geography quizzes at the dinner table. (laughs) Well, that's because you were Polish immigrants. How many Polish immigrants do you know, Kylie? What wasn't it like necessary for survival? No, I just my parents are overeducated nerds. So am I. Oh. I was overeducated Fine. when I was six. <laughs> the point being, Mary Tyler Moore Show is uh, yes. a yes a sitcom from like seventies, eighties, something like that. And it was a se- I remember uh, they 70s, talked a lot I about think. the Equal Rights Amendment. Yeah, basically the whole point was that Mary Tyler Moore is like a woman in the workplace, and that was a big deal. And it was it was supposed to be like aspirational, I think, at the time it was written. But if you watch it, it's just so depressing because <laughs> it's basically the joke is like she's always getting pooped on, and that's really funny. And that's just the entirety of the humor. Like I remember very clearly, there was one episode where she goes to throw this really nice dinner party, and it turns out horribly. Oh, <laughs> that's the episode. It's like Bridget Jones's diary. Yeah, but she tosses her hat in the air, so it's okay. Yes, so uh, she's going to make it after all. The the reason we are especially calling out Mary Tyler Moore um, is that she was very, very f- influential in the industry to get women onto screen, to get women respect. Yep. Uh, she fought really hard for the payments that she received for her show and mm-hmm. to just market it as the Mary Tyler Moore show. Uh, it was actually such a success that the secondary female character, Rhonda, had a spinoff show from it. <gasps> That's after right. She left, after she was no longer mm-hmm. fat. Yes. But baby yes. steps. Well, mm-hmm. Hey, for the 70s, mm-hmm. look. Uh, so so a lot of the trailblazing was done. She was really a, a force of personality, and it is sad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that everyone's not immortal in 2017. Oh, dang it. I thought it was time. For <laughs> do, you want to talk, do you want to talk about something happier? Yes, let's talk about something happier. How about Star Wars? Star Wars Episode Eight has a name. Yay! The Last Jedi. Are you guys on team plural or singular? Uh, I don't care as long as I'm on team Luke, really. I just want all the Luke Skywalker on my screen. I don't really care about anything else. <laughs> we already had The Force Awakens being very, very heavily centered around Han, like, his action. Mm-hmm. Right. So it, it, are we really going to have another movie that's centered around As long like, as it's centered around gang? Leia's actions, I'm fine. That's right. I yep. don't know what they're going to do with that. I was uh, thinking about that. Yeah, well, she finished all her work for it, right? She did, yes. but are they going to have to adjust the arc to set up for the fact that she's not going to be in episode nine? Yeah, probably, but then they should make her even more central. All I'm saying is, is should we have another Star Wars movie centered around the old? Yeah, well, it's a conundrum. It is. What about you, Kylie? Are you team singular or plural? I'm team this title means nothing to anyone like this could be literally anything <laughs> mm-hmm, i know it's not like the empire strikes back <laughs> like he could start trading ray and just be like and after i'm gone you will be the last jedi and still survive the movie and that would still be the title like this could mean anything yeah right. like when do you become a jedi exactly like at what point in the training <laughs> uh i don't know i don't even think that luke technically finished his training no because yoda said a jedi you are remember Oh yeah, that's right. Right, but like, let's say, let's say, like, just around the corner, just around those like really nice grassy knolls, there's like a whole <laughs> crapload of Jedi. Like, there's a lot of them. So Ray's like, "Oh my god, all these Jedi!" And then the Fire Nation attacks, <laughs> and she's the only one who survives, <laughs> and she then ends up in an iceberg. And and Kylo Ren is is Zuko. <laughs> sure, <laughs> this is kind of working. Well, and Finn is Sokka. Let's now, be right? honest. So. Oh, I don't. I don't know what's happening anymore. My point is, this reminds me of the last Airbender, but it could mean literally anything. It could, mm-hmm. and I think that's the point: is that it's so ambiguous. I mean, they got what they wanted out of it, which is everyone is talking about what it means, mm-hmm. and I think that's all that really matters to them is that people are speculating up the wazoo. I think my favorite is how people are trying to see patterns in this they're like oh okay but it's usually the third episode of the trilogy that has the word jedi or sith in it <laughs> wait wait usually you can't okay you can't make that generalization grade five math has taught us all that you can't have a pattern until you have three tokens okay <laughs> and they didn't even have the same word <laughs> like it's like oh it has to be jedi or sith what <laughs> and the second movie has to have some kind of violent action verb like attack or strike. <laughs> and this one has last. So what are we supposed to do with that? That's not a verb. There's no verb. This is just a Terminator phrase. Well, hey, they all had the in it though. It's true. So it's like a song of ice and fire. They all had uh until the winds of winter. Oh wait, or does is attack of the clones the attack of the clones or just attack of the clones? I think it's just attack of the clones. Damn it! The one thing they're supposed to and do. A for new the hope second is uh. It's not the oh. new hope, it's a new hope. Alright. We have okay, like, we're, we're... literally twelve months until this movie comes out. Oh, this fandom. I love how engaged it is, but I also hate it. I, out of all the fandoms that I'm engaged in, it's the one that upsets me the least. So. What's the one that upsets you the best, Julia? Steven Universe, probably. 
Oh my god! Oh, I thought it was going to be Game of Thrones. It was going to be a perfect transition to oh, the next thing we were going to talk well, about. Dang it, you ruined it. I like the A Song of Ice and Fire fandom 74% of the time. <laughs> yeah, but that's 26, number. man. Uh, that 26 is the people who also like the show. Oh, yeah, right. well, so we do try to avoid talking about the show as much as we can on this mm-hmm. podcast because we will just go down a dark hole. Also, because Julie and I have another podcast called Unabashed Book Snobbery mm-hmm. that you can check out if you want to hear it. But we did just get another season seven casting leak. And oh, my God, it's so bad. It's going to be moot by the next podcast we have. So we just had to address the broader point. A casting leak? I didn't hear about a casting leak. Uh, not casting. I'm sorry. Filming Plot. leak. Yeah, or, filming yeah. leak. Script, script leak? I don't even know. No, what it was, it was like, like somebody who's seen the scripts and was just like answering questions on Reddit, I think. I don't know. Or something like that. But- the theory is that it's the guy who plays Tormund, but like, who knows? Beardy? Yeah. That's okay. like the theory the, I Tormund saw Giants, is that Tormund like- Giants Bane isn't in Game of Thrones. There's Beardy. His, Beardy. There's Beardy. Yeah, right. There's Beardy. Forgive me, Beardy. <laughs> hey, do we want to tell our listeners what the leaks are oh so my they gosh. don't... Do, do we want to? <laughs> okay, so... They're so bad, but they could all be true. Mm-hmm. Like, if you don't want season seven spoiled, look in our notes for where to skip to. But um, basically, Cersei and Euron are going to be married. Mm-hmm. And there's a hilarious scene where Euron is asking Jamie how to sexually please her. And wants to know if she likes ass play. What? Because because then, incest isn't a problem on Game of Thrones. It's totally cool to ask the twin cests about their twin cests. Well, Euron probably doesn't care about it, to be fair. There's some other plot point where... I mean, canonically, Euron does not care about incest, so... Yeah, that's true. There's, there's, there's some other plot point where Cersei meets... Danny yeah. and her t- two dragons. Yeah, one of her dragons dies, and then she's like, "Oh, she's not so hot, uh, shit." Since one of her dragons, right? Died. Cersei is the first person to realize that the, a dragon's dead because apparently Jamie, who's been around the situation, like no one else could count to three and realize that one is missing. Right. So, so one of the, I think the leaks. It's Viserion died, like the the white dragon. I don't know. <laughs> according to that, is dead and. Yeah, Cersei's the only one who can count to two and say, hey, look, there are only two of them. Maybe I can defeat her two dragons. Yeah, because yeah, nobody has ever defeated a dragon before. Yeah, no. The dragons all oh died natural deaths. Just, how did the Dornish get shafted even in this? Seriously? <laughs> oh, right, because that, yeah, that's one of the other ones is like all the Dornishmen are dead. Except no, all the, Dor- the Dornishmen killed Meraxes is my point, but okay. Oh. Oh, I was And so did a bunch of peasants in the Brad Dragon Pit, so. Okay, okay, but the plot points are that all the Dornish die, because mm-hmm. Euron is able Valeria. to- She's in prison. Yeah, and she dies of dehydration or something, but Euron is able to sack- I mean, you know, granted, on the show, Dorn is like the water garden, so yeah. I guess it wouldn't be that hard to sack. They have like four guards. But yeah, Euron yeah, destroys like well, they have, all like, of the ships. a bunch of mannequins. Yep. Another point is that Cersei sacks or loots Highgarden and then sells off their goods to the Iron Bank and then buys the Golden Company with it. Uh, what? Yep. Uh-huh. I missed she that one. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So she's Aegon now? No, John is Aegon now. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Yes, yes. Da- Danny and John uh, have sex on a boat, which is intercut with scenes of Sam and Bran. For some reason, who are in How the same the fuck space? How Sam and Bran get together? Talking about who John is. So, 
it's so we get scenes of like incest intercut with finding out that it's incest. Well, that would be socially acceptable incest. But by the way, I saw I, I saw someone left a comment on this like post roundup of it and it was like wow this is amazing i hope that john comes right as <laughs> bran and sam get to the point where they're like revealing <laughs> oh my god that'd be amazing they're just be they're like for maximum cheese oh god was there anything else to these there I mean, there was a, the- there was a bunch of stuff it was all stupid yeah it was all but like the the kind of stupid that you can totally believe D D would do yeah i mean like i totally believe every single one of these like, i mean they might not be true but they're just totally believable and right if they're not true whatever there's there's going to be on screen will be worse that seems yeah, to be the true. pattern it won't make less sense yeah. Yeah, we didn't get any that's... info about because we we got a rumor back a while back about there's still being scenes in Marine, but we didn't get any info about that. So maybe that's not true. I'd be happy if that wasn't true. Yeah. But let's move on from Game of Thrones and discuss better things. Uh, so last time in our news, we talked about how Samurai Jack is going to be coming back, mm-hmm. and this week they finally um released the release date, which is March 11th. Yeah, so, our very own Miha is going to be covering that. Yes. At 11.30 p.m. on Adult Swim. It's going to be awesome. Because I love that show. That <laughs> sounds good. In other news for release dates, Supergirl is getting a musical crossover with The Flash, which will be starting on my birthday, March 20th and 21st. And Darren Chris, which uh, any Glee fans should know, is going to be playing a villain called the Music Meister. Yeah. This is going to be like Once More with Feeling, isn't it? I'm so hyped. <laughs> I, I hope it is Once More with Feeling. Like, that's I, my... I hope it is the Nightman Cometh, but... Oh my gosh, that would be so amazing. <laughs> oh, it's going to be great. Um, yeah. All that John Arrow's talk has made me giggle when you said Cometh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. In other premiere news, uh, next Wednesday, The 100 is premiering. Oh, joy of joys. So I guess like this Wednesday, right? You mean like... Yeah, this coming Wednesday. Yeah. Yay, me. My life is about to get much saltier. So Julia and I, you know, watch Game of Thrones and and sort of neurotically break it down for you guys. That's what Gretchen does for The 100. Yeah. Yes. Because... she loves it. Much like Game of Thrones, it began as something potentially good and then is not became not that <laughs> right so it's all out of love and it for happened very been. quickly i mean like it peaked at the end of season two yeah it's it's putting I, game yeah. of thrones in like run for the money with how quickly it peaked yeah now this is only the fourth season yep so correct me if i'm wrong too but jason rothen uh, jason rothenberg yes has spoken specifically on how his show is like game of thrones yep yeah. That's like what he wants out of life is to be the next D&D for God knows what reason. I don't know. On his, he's on his way. Right. He's doing a pretty good job. <laughs> I would say. All right. How about some happier, how about some happier news? Uh, Stephen Colbert has been announced to be hosting the Emmys this September. So God, I'm, I'm trying to think of something off. I care about less than the Emmys. The Oscars. Well, there we go. Oh, <laughs> right, yeah. We're not really big on awards, really. Yeah. Oh, man, yeah, so the Oscar Awards just came out, and the Oscar no- I realized... Nominations. Nominations, and I realized, man, I haven't seen any of these films. It's okay, uh, Jeremiah has seen most of them, so we have That's reviews right. of most of them up. <laughs> Guess what, though? We can now say in a sentence with complete sincerity, 
Oscar-nominated Suicide Squad. Hooray! Uh, I mean, the makeup was pretty good. We could say true. that about Oscar. We could actually say Oscar-nominated Passengers as well. <laughs> but, yeah. But at least they didn't do Oscar So White this year. That's true. I mean... They didn't. Six, I think... I think there were like six nominations or maybe a handful more. I will hold my applause until they actually win. Um, rather than just cheering them for including it. <laughs> like, yeah, from their participation trophies. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And I've been cynical about the Oscars since Shakespeare in Love beat like four clearly superior <gasps> movies for best that's picture. Right. And this was a very long time ago. <laughs> So that's how long I've not cared about the Oscars. <laughs> yeah, I think I haven't cared since... I can't remember what the context was, but I remember it was something to do with Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Yeah. Was it when Return of the King swept or when, like, Fellowship and Two Towers got snubbed? Probably a combination of both. Because <laughs> Return of the King swept to the point where it was stupid. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was all just, like... Hey, sorry, we snubbed you guys for the last two years. You have all the awards. I remember <laughs> when my father, we, we, he saw the movie again, like after it won everything. And he just turned to me at some point in the movie and said, like, how can anyone compete with this? This is crazy. <laughs> like, look at this. There's an elephant. <laughs> the elephant. Yeah, elephant. They're not elephants. But you know, what was it? What kind of pissed me off about that was like, from pretty much every perspective I can think of, Return of the King was the worst one in terms of, like, construction, pacing, even some of the effects. I thought probably Two Towers was the most successful, but that that was my Yeah, impression. they had gotten, like, on this, like, really weird, like, let's have, like, last do stupid things thing by then. That really annoyed oh me. Oh, my God. Well, he did do this shield surfing in Two Towers. Yeah, but- and that whole thing with that flip onto that writing count or whatever it was. <laughs> okay, so maybe Fellowship was the best. <laughs> Well, it's because Orlando Bloom is such a, like, snowboarder dude that they were trying to... Whatever. Yeah. We have to Those, move on. We do have to move on. Those, yeah, so that, 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 that was our news. And time for our next segment. Do we leave Middle Earth to its fate? Do we let them stand alone? All right, guys. So for our first segment, we have a very special guest on with us. A fellow contributor, Griffin. Hello. Hi, Griffin. Hey, Griffin. Great to be here. And anyone who has read anything Griffin has written on our site is going to be floored to know what we're talking about with him. You want to introduce him? Can I guess? Can I guess? Can I guess? Oh, you can, yeah. Is it comic books? No, hmm. it's 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 no? actually going to be about uh, fascism. Oh. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> that no, is it's on it's, point. It's, it's, it's about Batwoman. How big of a surprise. Oh my god. Oh, ooh, I know her. That's that person that Alex Danvers on Supergirl is going to become. I'm going to jump across. I'm going to get on the plane again. I'm going to get off (laughs) the plane. I'm going to drive, and then I'm going to hit you over the head with, like, a book. (laughs) No. That's fair. But Griffin, they're both lesbians, so therefore... Oh my god! No, no, you're you're right. They're both lesbians, and and, uh, no one did any work on trying to... Fuck, it's so stupid. We're not doing this. (laughs) There's only oh, one lesbian in DC Comics, obviously. right? Or maybe two. No, there's, maybe. there's, there's, um. No, I'm just, I'm just saying that we can totally make Alex Danvers Batwoman because there are only like two lesbians. Yeah, so. you're right. Yeah, that, that makes and sense. They and they both know each other. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They all, they all yeah, totally know each other. In the, in <laughs> okay, uh... this is going in a direction. Hi, oh. let's back up. Right. 
Who oh, is man, that? Oh, there's gonna be there's gonna be so much of that uh, next uh, like tomorrow. It's gonna pop up again. Okay. Uh, yes, uh, Batwoman <laughs> is Kate Kane, a Jewish lesbian ex-military woman. She was first introduced in 2006 in the Maxi Weekly series called 52. She's kind of the fucking best. I'm so <laughs> confused by this chronology chronological order. So 52 was in the mid-2000s. Yeah. But then she didn't get her own series until, like, 2011. 2011. Right. So what's up with that? Oh, it's, it's, not, it's actually not that complicated. Um, uh, She had 52, and then some other stuff happened. And then she had her um, solo detective comics run from uh, uh, mid-2009 to early 2010, which was the 10 issues, uh, seven of which were collected in Elegy. And then there's the Cutter arc that you read, Kylie, which was the other ones that weren't collected. Which was awesome and should have been collected. They but, actually yeah. are. Uh, in June, they're having a new collection. It's called Batwoman by Greg Rucka and Williams, even though the art by that other arc is by Jock. I don't know why they're calling it that, but it's the same thing. <laughs> and it's not very nice because Jock is great, but, you know, whatever. It's going to be there. Uh, and then after that, they were going to do, uh, Batwoman is actually a, uh, very early 2011 series, but they push it back to fit in with the new 52 relaunch, which is why the first uh, few issues are actually like, they don't make sense with the relaunch, but it's funny because it's basically DC editorial not caring, and it also means that Kate remembers everything. That's all about the conversation. Because nobody <laughs> cares. relaunches. Okay, so let's say that you are listening to fan the fundamentalist and you have never read a comic book in your life two questions one where should you start reading batwoman and two why should you start reading batwoman oh man the why that's not why is not fair okay uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right the where definitely the paperback called batwoman elegy it is the easiest and most simple place to start and it is probably no it, it, it is the best place to start i mean word. right julia you just said before we started recording that it probably wasn't the best place to start. No, I meant okay. as, as, as comics in general. Like, it's not the place. <laughs> because of the... All right. You're not helping. You're not, you're not helping. I'm sorry. I really enjoyed it. It's a very good place to jump in on Kate Kane's arc mm -hmm. without having to read all of the 52 for the, like, five scenes she appears in. Well, you read it for mm -hmm. Renee, not for her, but yes. I know. I agree. <laughs> I yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, you can go back and read some other stuff. Comic Vine is your friend. It's a big old database that'll tell you all the stuff she's been in. Uh, but for the most part, you just pick up Elegy, then you go right into the Batwoman, uh, you know, numbered volumes, and um, hold your breath once you get to volumes five and six. Just hold your breath, get your through news. it. No, not that. And <sighs> get get through it. Then you move on to uh, Detective Comics Rebirth, which starts at uh, nine thirty four, and then you just keep going. And yeah, that that's it. That's pretty much it. Yeah, she's in very few things, which helps. I actually, I'll link this piece that I wrote. It's called I Just Comicked, and So Can You. And it's about the learning curve of comics. And obviously my focus was a little bit on Kate Kane, because that's what got me into it. And that brings us to the why, doesn't it? Well, there are a lot of reasons. One, she's kind of the fucking best. Two, <laughs> she's this very strange... Well, actually brings us into our topic now, doesn't it? Um, mm. She kind of shouldn't exist. <laughs> she's from a publication uh, perspective and kind of okay you know how i'm sure many listeners remember that cora they bright kind of stumbled into cora being this kind of intersectionalist feminist haven kind of thing where she was everything you could ever possibly want i love how that happened so by accident right but i mean all they did yeah. they were like we're gonna write the opposite of ang <laughs> but then it ended up being the most perfect intersectional character that's ever been on our TV screen. Right, exactly. And they, oh, I mean, the they got the cheese about yeah. Aang. 
Yeah, they got to cheat with that a little bit because they already had ATLA and they already had like the Water Tribe and they could make her brown, so that worked. Uh, yeah. Nobody was white anyway, but that one was like explicitly. They kind of stumbled in there. This is on purpose. Like this is the, like this is the single most perfect distillation of everything that uh, Greg Rucka, the writer and kind of chief architect of who she became. Everything he does really well, like gendered uh, feminism, uh, social crap. Judaism, uh, the military, <laughs> conspiracies, it, fucking everything. All the shit that she is, that's all distilled into her. And he, mm. he made a whole career on this, and it's all phenomenal. And it, he, he's, he's awesome. So she's queer, she's a lesbian, she's Jewish, pretty overtly. She's a post-traumatic stress mm-hmm. disorder, and she is a walking middle finger to gender roles just by, like, by, by breathing. <laughs> just by breathing, she does that all the time. That's impressive. It, well, it kind of is. Or- it's intricately woven into her origin story. Yeah, it right? is. It's burnt into her bones. Uh, you want me to go over that? Just kind of the whole basic thing? Absolutely. Okay, mm-hmm. all right. So basically, and I'm going to go super basic on this. Uh, oh, damn it. I should have gotten the whole thing with um the little blurb they had at the beginning of the first. You know what? I can't. Hold on one second. Oh, God. This is so much research. Come on. <laughs> okay. I got actually, I have the paperback so I can actually read it off of it. Of course you do. Remember the... Well, what do you mean, of course I do? <laughs> now, you remember that know. little blurb at the beginning of it? And it was, uh... Oh, right, 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 yeah. 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 I love that thing. I would read Greg Rucka's grocery lists. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, at the beginning of Elegy, um, there's this love note to it <laughs> Rachel by Maddow. Rachel Maddow. It's so great. And she's just talking it's about like how everything Greg Rucka writes is perfect and that she would read his grocery shopping lists. <laughs> So you could say that there's an elegy for elegy? You could say that. You could. Hold on. Let me fucking find it. I'm leaving all of you, this in. She's, she kind of has, like, two tragic backstories. She has, like, the um, the end of her military career tragic backstory. Right. And she has her, her childhood trauma backstory. Yeah. They're both, they're both pretty tragic. They're both pretty great. Mm. Well, yeah. I mean, everyone... All the best characters have double There it issues. is. I got it. I'm <laughs> yeah. trying to remember the exact layout of it, and I really like the one where she's meditating. Uh, okay. Here. Uh, basically, here's this. It's pretty, pretty pretty much the best way to put it. Thank you, W.H. Uh, Hayden Blackman and J.H. Williams III. Kate Kane survived a brutal kidnapping by terrorists that left her mother dead and her twin sister presumably lost. Following in her father's footsteps, she vowed to serve her country and attended West Point until she was expelled under Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Now she is many things. A strange daughter, grieving sister, proud lesbian, brave soldier, determined hero. There should be something about her being Jewish in here, but there isn't. She is Batwoman. That, that's, there you go. That's it. That's what it is. She is very Jewish, though. Like, you go she and read is, Elegy, though. and there's just, like, like just chilling in the background on her wall is the Tree of Life, and you're like, okay. It's not a, it's, well, yeah, that's what it is what it is. But yeah, it's yeah. a bunch of other shit. There's a Hanukkah over there, and there's... Also, uh, the totally off topic, but kind of not, the new, uh, redrawing of, remember her, um, like, proto-vigilante outfit, but she had the gas mask on? Yes. Well, the original one, that was a U.S., um, U.S.-based, um, like, army surplus gas mask, but Steve Epting, the guy who's gonna be, uh, drawing, um, the new Batwoman book, he kind of released a sketch. It's no longer a U.S. one. It's an Israeli gas mask. What? Ooh. Ah, how cool of a retcon is that, even though it makes no fucking I sense. I like it. <laughs> that makes no sense at all. But it doesn't, I but I love it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that is the, um, that is definitely the why of Bad um, Woman. Yeah, well, for context, I, I, I'm sure most listeners remember this, but Don't Ask, Don't Tell was a piece of legislation that was signed in by the Clintons, by, by Bill Clinton, that allowed 
gays to serve in the military with as long as you didn't like tell like no one talked about it because before you would be just kicked out well, so well, it wasn't just that it was also that um investigations without you know actual solid proof were completely yeah. outlawed and made illegal and they by that time a lot of the sodomy laws were kind of bumped down from felonies to not being a, a, a felony at all or a crime which is by mm-hmm. the way only formally outlawed in 2003 completely in the u.s yeah. so yeah. it's just really people, fucked people don't up realize that. Yeah. yeah it's like oh now you go to jail it seems it seems unthinkable that like don't ask don't tell was considered progress. Yeah, it kind of in the in the nineties it really was. Uh, this was repealed in twenty eleven, and Kate's introduction was two thousand six. Yeah, so, so. well, well that actually, that actually didn't come up. It might have come into later. So yeah, basically yeah. what we have here is the don't, don't ask don't tell was first introduced into her comics canon in two thousand nine, or I think like ma- yeah. really late two thousand nine. Whether or not that was brought up during her initial creation in the Maxi Series 52 when she first showed up. There's no real way to know. Hmm. Uh, I've looked uh, I've looked around, I've done a lot of, as much research as I reasonably could about trying to find whether or not, but I can't. What I do know... There's a, there's a lot about 52, Kate, that's mysterious. Yeah, they inverted a lot of it, and I think, that, well, if you think, if you actually look back, like the first time you see her when she's in the red dress... And she's like, "Oh, I'm still in the closet, and it really pissed you." And she punches Renee, and which is which is great. Uh, but I think the reason they kind of did that is just so she could punch her, so then Renee could recognize the punch later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean, if you think about it, like every other instance that she exists after that, it really does. Maybe I'm wrong, but it, it was. It seem like she's closeted. Right, exactly. Yeah. It, it does not read like that at all. It felt like something that they were really on the fence about when they first wrote it. And they're like, "Fuck it, it's just you know what? We're not going to do this." Yeah, I mean, part mm. of the thing, she was definitely a character to support Renee in 52, but, like, even her character design has changed drastically since then for, to Elegy. She wasn't always a vampire? <laughs> no, not we're not. Always a, we're not, no. That, she she did not always have white skin, but um, calling her a vampire has... That's really bad, probably, like, the worst fucking thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you'll, you'll know if you read You, you know, maybe we volumes. shouldn't, we shouldn't, actually, we should, probably should actually mention that, because that's probably something that should be addressed as many times as possible, so no one forgets yeah. about it. Yeah, well, okay, I'll let you take it. Yeah, <laughs> so here's the thing. DC was like, alright, nobody can get married, and then, which kind of threw out a bunch of story plans for Williams and Blackman originally, and they already had stuff approved for years, and they're like, okay, they can't get married, uh, fine, we'll do this other thing and this other thing, and then it just kept piling up all the no's that they had, and kept basically not being the editorial team at the time back in 2012 and 2013 was not nearly as accepting and as good as it apparently is now in uh, yeah. you know the dc rebirth era so that's pretty cool by the way the marriage was going to be between kate and, and maggie sawyer maggie that's a whole sawyer other thing uh right so they like okay so we won't do that we won't we'll have another way to do it we'll basically said okay we can't write this book anymore and they had this whole arc planned out that they were going to, you know, put it into a place where the Kane family has a, you know, a, a good place to heal. But that's not quite what happened. <laughs> they kicked them out before they finished the last two um, uh, issues. Uh, issue number 25 was written, not ever drawn. Issue 26 had an outline. It's the best we ever got. Uh, 25 became a tie-in to Zero Year, which was, eh. And uh, 26 <laughs> became fucking whatever. And then... Um, the an- first annual actually did, believe it or not, wrap up the stuff that um, uh, the original arc was going to do. Not in the, you know, original way, but at least we got something. Even mm-hmm. though it wasn't that great. And then... And then, uh, and Draco, Mark and Draco, who maybe some people know as the uh, mastermind behind uh, Kate Spencer's run on Manhunter, which was a phenomenal book. I actually kind of have to say that because I fucking love that book. <laughs> that guy 
um, himself a gay man. I'm not really sure why he thought this was a good idea. Thought, okay, you know what? I'm going to just take out the don't ask, don't tell part of Kate's entire history. That's too dated. But if you yeah. take that part out and you know anything about Kate, she then, okay, ask yourself this. How did she get kicked out of the military if it wasn't for that? Because mm. the whole thing about Kate is that she just wants to serve her country. Right. And that's mm. what drives her. And she's very committed to that. So his solution was, because, you know, I think we could all kind of think of ways that someone could get kicked out of the military for refusing to compromise on maybe their own, who they are, especially, yeah, torture, right? That's like an easy way. But what he did instead was basically just make her terrible. Yeah, made her just like a genuinely terrible person. Just really angry yeah. and hit people because it was fun. It, like, she just made it like the, just the worst fucking person ever. Because that, that was the solution. And also, it's like, yeah. oh, it's going to be a story about three women. It's going to be about her her girlfriend from the army, Sophie. I'm like, wait, girlfriend from? The- wait a minute, <laughs> that's not quite right. I mean, that her name was Sophie, but that's not the point. It's like, okay, so yeah. Donna Sattel is not a thing, so that ruins everything just from the foundational perspective. Yeah. Uh, and then there's the whole, um, oh, and then we're gonna, you know, Maggie and, and her daughter, which you know, admittedly wasn't a bad idea, but the way that they handle it was fucking stupid. It's like, oh, and by huh? the way. Remember vampires? Here's yeah, a vampire. Here's a Nocturna, who is also a cannibal, and also a daywalker, and can eat human food, and, and rapes Kate for like six months. Yep. Yeah, no, that not, we're not uh, exaggerating okay. that the thing that happened. Um, and that's why she's so shaky and really lacking a lot of her normal self-confidence at the beginning of Rebirth, because she's still kind of <laughs> in her head like, okay, fuck, am I even, can I still even do this? Yeah. Yeah, so that's why Julia... Kate Kane, yes, is drawn as a very pale woman, mm-hmm. but calling her a vampire really don't has... Because do there's, there's a part where she believed she was a vampire. Yeah, the, vampire, the vampires in mind control yeah. basically made her a giant, just the dumbest person ever, completely yeah. incapable of, of self-reflection, you know, and also like tried to kill her sister, and, mm. and beat the crap out of just a bunch of random people, and also yeah. got knocked down her own... I mean, it just made her really dumb. But here's the good news about DC and comics and Kate Kane right now is that she was reintroduced into detective comics, right? And everything was more or less fixed. I mean, they kind of retconned the retcon of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Oh no, they didn't kind of, they pretty completely did. <laughs> yeah. It's like, no, no, that was, that was dumb. No, it's back now. Yeah. Cause I've only read Elegy and yeah, that whole don't ask, don't tell thing seems kind of important. It's to her kind character. of the linchpin. Right. You, you take it out, and that that's actually yeah. kind of gets back to her point. Um, why she, you know, kind of, you know, in terms of publication, it makes no sense. Uh, that's something that only works once in any yeah. piece of media. You can only pull that shit once because of how specific it is. I, I mean, if you try to do any character, it's like, oh, um, I I can no longer serve my country because um I was gay and I refused to lie. Well. Who's the first fucking person you're gonna think of that you just? Oh, you copied that. You copied that you from copied Bad that Woman. Copied that from Kate Kane. Yeah. Mm. And here's the thing too, and what I loved about this, this was in your piece on why Alex Danvers shouldn't become Bad Woman. The Dan Woman. Choi thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, what you what it was a way you said it though is that Kate Kane is not a superhero who's gay. She is a superhero because she's gay. Right. She has no mm. other option. Right, and that, like, adds a whole other texture to what she represents intersectionally as a character. Like, what it means every time she puts on her weird... Uniform. Bat cow with the wig, yeah. 
I, I, I agree. I agree it is. Yeah, I mean, because Batwoman's a war, a Batman's a warrior. He fights a crusade. Batwoman's a soldier. Mm. She fights a war. They actually get into that a little bit in Detective Comics, and I'm hoping they expand on that more. Yeah, yeah. Well, one thing they didn't get into LG at all is, like, why she became Batwoman specifically and not, like, I don't know. Yes, they did. They did. A little bit. I mean, like, she was, like, vaguely inspired by the Baxit Noah's, I recall. No, it was it was the way she could serve. Right, exactly. It was the whole, the, she the bat the signal being a, No, <laughs> well, kind of. It was the bat signal being a call to arms. It, it was yeah. a, that was kind of the whole point. She shot as a flag, not as uh, necessarily a, not as Batman as a person to follow. But as yeah. the bat itself being an ideal, uh, an ideology or a concept to follow, like you know the stars and stripes were. But she can't mm-hmm. follow that one, so she's got the bat. They didn't let her. Mm-hmm. But this one, no one ever questioned it. No one ever said no. So they just kind of like, yeah. Despite some stumbles with Kate's character, yeah. the future looks bright. Right? Oh boy, <laughs> does it ever! <laughs> We've got Margaret Bennett on it, who's a uh, sapphic woman who's been writing bombshells, and I think, I mean, you talk to me or Kylie about bombshells, and, and oh we'll either God. start crying or just fanning all over the place. Just hitting probably, it out of the park. Probably with this. bold. I don't like AU fix. She has single-handedly turned me onto AUs. Because well, it's an writes... tale, but yeah. It's because of how she writes Kate, too. I know. it's Everything about it is just yeah. phenomenal. Right, so she's writing that, and that's going to be February 15th, and that is going to be one insane day. <laughs> oh my yeah, God. you should see our schedule for that week. Leading up to that, she's been having her run in Detective Comics again since its rebirth, uh, as well as two issues focused specifically on her, and they've been just amazing. I know, but Rise of the first arc, Rise of the Batman, was just kind of like... It, I mean, it was obviously it was reestablishing everything, but that was that was like kind of a rebirth for Kate already. So they got that one. We got Batman Woman Begins... And again, actually, um, mm-hmm. and then you've got Batman Woman Rebirth number one, and then you've got the, the series. So she yeah. gets three. Harley Quinn got mm-hmm. two. Yeah, it's just amazing. And the whole th- the whole thing with comics, the the ability to just like have rebirths all the time is must be very liberating uh, for fans. <laughs> it's kind of like that. You really don't want to do that. So he. You don't really don't want to do that. It fucks so much shit up more often than not. This isn't yeah, really. It's you get to a, fix things that are fucked up. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, this is this isn't yeah. a bit of a. This is a soft relaunch of it. It it really yeah. isn't a reboot. They they kept everything that happened for better or worse, and it's more about keeping things, bringing things back to center. What the core of it is, what worked, what didn't, and it, that's there's a reason that's been super successful. Yeah, it's been so good. Oh, so great. So. Yeah, we're right. going to have to wrap up the Batwoman segment, but basically, as Griffin was saying, this is a character that shouldn't exist. She is so decidedly gay, <laughs> so fallible. Oh my god. Everything, she fucks up all the time. It's just amazing. And, like, I don't think you guys realize how rare it is to see a woman fuck up, let alone a gay woman. Because, like, a lot woman. of times there's some closer to Earth, and a very Jewish woman. And, whoops, they accidentally made Bruce Wayne Jewish as I, a result. I know. It's, it was like a completely <laughs> accident because. Uh, yeah, Jacob's sister was Martha Wayne. Yeah, Sir, they just, um, like, kind of yeah. forgot how that worked. Uh, and then they, they, no, I don't think they really thought of, didn't think about it. I think they're just, like, you know, it's like, whatever. I mean, it's not, it doesn't change Batman at all. No. You know who never stops asking questions? Oh, gosh. Why is tonight different <laughs> from all overnights? Jewish people never stop asking questions. He's a detective! He's the world's greatest detective! How does that not make perfect sense? It it's makes just wonderful. I sense. mean, it just it reinforces what's already there. So it, if you guys haven't been to a seder, we recommend you. Yeah. Go. 
Right. I, I, t- I touched about, how, you know, Kate is super, you know, how she's written it to be super oppressed, and that's also mm-hmm. not r- super rare. And, uh, da, 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 da. okay, the reason she exists is because they did a brand spinoff of Batman. Like, that's it. That, we already kind of, <laughs> there you go. That's the, re- that's the essay. That's the, uh, and, ending of the point. And everything that you could ever want for this character right now is being done and oh, more. Oh, my God. And, All the stuff that I wanted to happen was, like, already fucking happening. I'm like, All right. I can just sit back and read it. And the interviews with the people who are writing her are so amazing. They're such nerds. It's, I mean, it's like the same conversations I have with Kylie about Asami. It's really spooky. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's like the same thing. How did we break her this way? <laughs> so, yeah, definitely check it out. Oh, absolutely. Biggest recommendation we you know, possibly give. An angry Jewish lesbian woman out for justice. Right, so our fun segment, I don't know why we do it this way, but we do. Our fun segment for today is another This Needs to Die. Yes. Where we discuss a trope that needs to die. (laughs) (laughs) So, Julia? Just overused and not good. Um, Well, the trope I want to discuss today is kind of a subsection of idealized motherhood. Idealized motherhood just being placing women and motherhood on a pedestal. The, the idea that motherhood redeems you as a character, just as soon as, you know, you get pregnant and you push that thing out of your vagina, all of a sudden you're a better person. You know, you, you look into the baby and you're like, oh, I get life now. My priorities are all lined up and everything and everything will be good now. And then the movie ends. And what actually got me thinking about this is a little strange because I just watched the ITV series Victoria. And by the time this episode comes out, my piece on it will already have been read by you, because I know you all read everything I write. Was it um, a rave or a... <laughs> it was a middling review, I think. Oh. But um, actually, the um, spoilers, I guess, but uh, the first series ends right when their first child is born. Oh, and okay. like it kind of ends like you know while they're holding her. Um, little Vicky, who ends up being a... Kaiser Wilhelm's mother, but whatever. Um, what show is this? <laughs> Victoria. It's about Queen Victoria. Oh, yes. that makes more sense. <laughs> Who did you think it was about? I don't know. Someone named Victoria. <laughs> Just some random person named Victoria. Well, the thing about Queen Victoria is that she was kind of a shitty mother. Yep. Like, in real life. It's not that she didn't love her children. It's that she definitely didn't like babies at all. Like, she just was not into babies, and she didn't think they were cute, and she didn't like being pregnant. And, like, she had nine kids in ten years. So, you know, she was kind of miserable all the time because she was always pregnant. And she got, like, very bad, just successive postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. And just, um... Not even the show, just like my knowledge about the historical Victoria got me thinking about this trope and how much I hate it. Because just like, you know, when you have kids, it does kind of like change things about like the way you have to approach life because now you have like, you know, a dependent in, you know, more ways than one. But it doesn't actually like, you know, physically change your personality or anything like that. You're still the same person you were, except you have a kid now. And, but sometimes it's always framed as like, now you're a mother, it's this turning point, you're, you're a new person now, you have a new role, and just, even, like, in my own, like, I think my father expected my atheism to magically disappear as soon as I had a child. Mm, you know? That's how that works. That's, right, mm. totally. He, he was just kind of like, oh, you know, when you have children and you see how, like, awesome it is that humans can reproduce, you'll totally believe in God. I'm telling you, it's gonna happen. And he was, like, 
shocked when it didn't. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of a piece of media that's a good example of this trope. Did you have any you came up with, Julia? Well, um, on a more like doidless level, there's always our own our old standby Game of Thrones and uh... the way that um, Cersei slash Carol is talked about. And how motherhood is her one redeeming quality. That's in her cheekbones. I mean, I can yes. talk Lena about... Hattie does um, have good cheekbones. <laughs> I don't know how many of you guys have ever watched Grimm. Is that yeah. a show on NBC? Um, I used to watch it more regularly, and I don't really anymore. But one of the characters, uh, her name is Adeline Shada, and she is a Hexen Beast, which is like... <sighs> it's too long to explain, but anyway, she's like an evil <laughs> witch. Like, the equivalent of like an evil witch character. Okay. And part of her, like, redemption arc is that she gets pregnant. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's part of her getting pregnant and then suddenly having her baby that she's like, oh, wait, I'm not an evil person anymore. Like, oh, she's now cool. one of the main protagonists what? and is in, like, a rema- is, is in a relationship with the main male protagonist. This after is, like, having- the one-on-one example, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, she, like, is literally redeemed because she has a baby. And the kind of, you know, the dark, the dark kind of other side of the coin to that is also what happened on Game of Thrones. Like, as soon as, like, you know, you're no longer technically a mother because all your children are dead, all of a Crazy. sudden you're in a black dress. Right. And you're well, technically right. Tama was still alive when she did that part, but that's a whole other world. Because that scene was just so well written, you know. Oh my god. Wouldn't it be way more interesting <laughs> if, like, someone who kind of would normally fall into this trope, you know, had the baby... Mm-hmm. And then was still a supervillain and raised the child to also be a supervillain. Oh they just had like a, a mother-daughter team of being totally yes. evil. How cool would that be? Like, That'd be how would you fucking fight that? Like, oh shit, now we gotta fight her. <laughs> how am I supposed to fight a toddler? Oh, I'm dead. Um, you know, what's, what's interesting about that, Griffin, is that there are evil mothers in stories, but they're almost always stepmothers. They're like hardly ever biological mothers. Like, yeah. even, even, you know, Rapunzel is what I was thinking of. That just came a lot to of mind. Disney in there. Yeah, lots of Disney, but it's almost always the stepmother because it's like, oh, biological mothers could never be damaging to their children. <laughs> I'm gonna write that down. That seems like a fun story idea. Yeah. Oh, do it. <laughs> I'll read it. Well, and and as you said, even if you have like, you might have like an evil biological mother, but typically, like, the fact that she's a mother is like her redeeming quality. Mm-hmm. Like you'll have yeah. this like horrible person, but at least she's a good mom. <laughs> <laughs> she blew up that. Or like that she just like she goes, bridge, she's just overzealous she, yeah. in her desire to like protect her children or have her children succeed. You know, like the stage mom. But then yeah. everyone praises <laughs> her for it. Like, well, at least she cares about her kids. What? <laughs> but she's evil. <laughs> Not getting this. Super villain well, and the, it's important to compare that yeah. that we never see this with male characters, and that's part of what makes this a gendered trope. Is you yeah. never see the like the evil villain man who, or you hardly ever see like a, a villainous male character who ends up with a child and suddenly they're magically a better person. Oh, oh yeah, I'm trying to think because I can. I know I read something. I know I read something where that, where that did happen. I can't remember what it is. I know it's sucking something. But like, like the fact that we can't really think of like, yeah, it might exist, but it's rare. Yeah, you don't have idealized fatherhood. You might have a male character who's hesitant or maybe immature. That mm-hmm. having a child suddenly makes them like a, a mature human being, and yes. suddenly they can handle life. But rarely <laughs> ever is it like a part of their redemption arc. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and often it's like, because I'm thinking of Hiroshi Sato, obviously, speaks to <laughs> right away from me. <laughs> I was thinking more of Darth Vader. No, I'm, I'm with Kylo mm. Darth Vader's more idealized than Hiroshi also. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, Kylo Ren's just, just super like, my grandfather was the biggest fucking badass ever, you guys. Oh, God. Ever. You guys. You tortured my mom. You guys, ever. <laughs> guys, ever. <laughs> but at least, at least... Force Awakens tried to explore fatherhood and what that meant to Han in a way that's less surface level than what usually happens. Like, right. Yeah, they did. But yeah, if we want to slay this chirp, because that's the point of this segment, right? This chirp this needs, needs to, to die. die. Big old sword. <laughs> exactly. So what kinds of mothers should we have instead, Julia? Um, ones that are like people who have kids. <laughs> no, that's, I too, don't that's too crazy. That's too <laughs> Wait, what? This doesn't check out. Well, like, having kids is something that most people do at some point, right? Most I people guess. have kids. That's just a fact. <laughs> I mean, the population stayed, I mean, I, I would imagine, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just with math. So, like, you can have characters who have kids, and, like, uh-huh. it's not necessarily a defining feature of their character. Mm-hmm. Oh, isn't that, I think Dan Harmon said something about that. I remember this being just really clever. Like, um, I don't know, years ago, when he was, uh, he was talking about kind of TV relationships, and mm-hmm. how normally it's like, oh, then they're in the relationship, and then the movie ends. It's like, no, no, in real life, um, they have the baby, and then they live with the baby. Yeah. <laughs> the baby doesn't go away. It, the baby's still there when the camera comes back. It's kind of like, yeah. <laughs> you know what's funny, Julia, is that you saying, like, don't have it be the defining trait. Yeah. I think this is where it becomes super gendered. Because, like, y- you know how gay characters can easily be written where all they are are gay characters? That's the Gee, that, I've, yeah. I've never come across that ever. Oh, yeah. I can't, <laughs> I can't think of any examples. Um, turns no, on but, TV, like, turns to CBS. Yeah, or CBS, certainly, or, you know, our favorite staple that we're not going to mention, I guess. Nope. <laughs> but it's usually, if, if it's going to be a case where there is a parent defined by a child, it mm-hmm. is the mother that is defined by the child. Mm-hmm. And she becomes a mother and that's that. And very rarely do you see a father constrained in the role of fatherhood. And probably the prime example, I'm so sorry, but Game of Thrones is perfect for everything because it's so bad. But the prime <laughs> example is when Stannis decides he has to fucking burn Shireen to win the war or to stop the flurries or whatever was happening. Like, whatever the point of that is, was. What are you mine? talking about? I don't, <laughs> right. whatever. Okay. Okay. So there's this king who's vying to become a, uh, Do you even want to bother? Does it he even He wants matter? to be a hereditary monarch, so then he kills his only heir. That's yes. stupid. Just <laughs> yeah. So the whole time, he really liked his daughter, and he was, like, hugging her, and they talked about books and stuff together, and his wife was like, my daughter fucking sucks. She's so ugly. <laughs> I'm not even exaggerating. It's and not. then they oh, wow. burn this daughter alive, and the mother suddenly crumples and sobs in a fit idea. of and, and he then, and then commits suicide. Like um, we're not even kidding. Like and the mother, suicide. like the mother who hated her daughter, literally spent every time on screen she would talk about her daughter was negative. Like suddenly, like sobs and then commits suicide because her daughter is now dead. And we find oh. out about her suicide as a punchline to a joke. Yeah. But yep, Stannis doesn't shed a tear because he's not <clears throat> defined by his fatherhood. And even though it was his decision, and I guess it had a toll. It just amounted to being like, well, this was a bad was day. Punished for it. I'm not sure. If it's like, but I, I do have like one practical suggestion. Okay. And you know how when your female actors get pregnant on TV shows is usually inconvenient, and you have to have 
some like, wacky way to hide is, it. Is the best method by far. Just having larger and larger coats and holding boxes. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you take your coat off? No. Every once in a while. Why not instead of having like you know an alien induced pregnancy or some kind of magical time reducing? Why don't you just have like the character have a baby? Because like oh I would like to have a baby now. Let's do that. Yeah, I mean sometimes women get pregnant. Yeah, or like it's always it's always like some like huge plot line like where they have like you know issues conceiving or like you know it's this like giant thing where. Like, you know, like, are we ready for a baby? Let's have, like, a half-season-long arc about it. You know, something like that. But just, like, uh, or there's, like, some kind of relationship drama. Just, like, sometimes people have babies and it's pretty normal. Scrubs! What? Scrubs. Yeah. Scrubs, yeah, scrubs you know, actually did pretty scrubs. well. Both, both sides of it. Fucking both sides of it. Both uh, well, you know what? Actually, I was going to say, Always always Sunny actually did a kind of clever inversion of this where Caitlin Olsen was pregnant. So they just <laughs> had her be pregnant. <laughs> right. And then at the very end, she just like handed a baby away because she was basically a surrogate, surrogate for someone. Did you guys not fucking... And they were trying that to figure was, out who the dad was. That was one of my was. favorite. Yeah. That was one of my favorite episodes okay, of all time. It's like the fucking idiot guys were like trying to figure this out. And there was like all these like intricate plots like who's the dad? And then she's like, no, I'm, I'm just a surrogate. Like this is just what I did. <laughs> so. And they're like they're trying to take care of her during the whole birth thing and they, like she just she, get the fuck away what are you doing <laughs> it's so good i love that show so right much. so like normalize getting pregnant is just the thing that happens and yeah. then have it maybe like not magically change the story afterwards because but, she just like has a baby and then goes back to her job especially like, if you like have like you know a procedural do. you know <laughs> something like that where like every episode is the same let's let's be honest like oh you know just like have the character have a baby and then she goes home at five and you know like like normal <laughs> and it's, it's just a, a normal part it doesn't of have to be a thing it doesn't like you know you don't have to make you know the baby daddy the evil mastermind of the season then there's drama like none of that has to happen <laughs> who is your favorite mother in fiction joya mrs bennett lucille bluth. oh <laughs> i knew you were gonna say that although lucille bluth does a wonderful job of tackling idolized motherhood doesn't she she does <laughs> yeah she's terrible <laughs> Hey, Kylie, who else tackles idealized motherhood? I think you have some opinions about this. Could it be Suyin Beifang? <laughs> Maybe. I talk about Legend of Korra too much, don't I? But, Not really? I mean, no. Suyin Beifang is the answer to everything. She's like this just horrible hypocrite. She's the kind of the stereotype of like the cool mom who's like going to the PTA meetings and demanding <laughs> yes. more kale be put on the lunch menus and she's like, oh my kids, they're free to follow whatever choices they want to make. But then as soon as that like doesn't line up to her reality, she gets really pissed off about it. Starts a war. Exactly. <laughs> right. right. Uh, well, you know, uh, speaking of speaking of Legend of Korra, there's also Toph and oh the whole thing with the, with oh the guy God. named Kanto. <laughs> that family. Oh, I love that. I love that. No, so, just yeah. the whole thing. Like, like, like you know, Bolin was obviously expecting this, like, weird story about, like, you know, <laughs> who's Lin's dad? Wacky. Like, tell me the, the like, wonderful love story. And she's just like, oh, he was just some guy. I got pregnant. And then All I right. But isn't there a whole other layer to that? Because she's really bad at telling stories. So what if that was, like, in a crazy love story that she just No, we know what that story was into... because Kylie wrote a fanfic. Uh, it was oh, just some yeah. guy. It was just some guy she had sex with. <laughs> to contextualize this a little bit for people who don't watch Quora, because I'm sure that was unintelligible, Toph is like a big character because mm-hmm. she was in the the show that came before Legend of Quora, and she was one of the main characters there. And, and then favorite. she like, yeah, she had two daughters, and then one of them like they just asked who her father was, like what character on the show. And she's I mean, like, it's oh. obvious who Sue's father is. Yeah, Sokka. Yep. 
<laughs> yeah, we all know it. We all know it. But uh, yeah, Legend of Korra and I guess no Avatar: The Last Airbender had an absent mother issue, but Legend of Korra, especially the past the last two seasons of it, just really thoroughly tore into idealized motherhood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thoroughly. Yes. Griffin, do you have a favorite mother character? Um. Hmm. It's actually a good question. I haven't really. <laughs> If I, you know, if I'd known about this beforehand, I guess I probably would have said no. something. No, uh, trial by fire, best way to learn. Ah, uh, shit. Um, <laughs> honestly, the the most fun to watch is always Lucille. If I'm going to tell the honest, I mean, she she's yeah. just the worst, but she's so much fun. She is. Mm. She is. She doesn't get old either. Yeah, no, she doesn't. Kind of, it's she just keeps doing what she's doing, what she's doing thirty years ago. It's like, fuck it, I'm still drink and not eat. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> she it confused the. Uh, Alcohol warning with a winking face alcohol <laughs> suggestion. Oh my god. Oh, wink. <laughs> Gretchen, who's your favorite? I'm sure I have other ones, but off the top of my head right now as I'm thinking, oh, currently no. is, it's... Is it Supergirl? No. Okay. Um, well, it's actually Kat yet. Stark. With all of oh. her internalized patriarchy brain. Yeah. Like, I just, I love her because she's one of the first, like, middle-aged female characters in a fantasy book who gets she's the space 35. to, like, well, like, in that world. Like, yeah. middle-aged for Westeros. Like, that gets to exist as a perspective without it being, like, well, she gets to be, like, her own character. And in mm-hmm. fantasy, that, it's very rare to have a female character basically over the age of, like, 20. 27. Yeah. So be a main character. And I love, I just love her brain space. She's fascinating. And she has one of my favorite perspective chapters in the whole series. So. Well, we, we are probably going to be talking about Catelyn Stark more in depth, along with Patriarchy Brain, with Gretchen over on an unabashed book snobbery episode coming yes. up. Yes. <laughs> but for right now, we have to say goodbye to our friend Griffin. Bye. We want to thank you a lot for being here, of course. Thanks so much and for having we- me. Yeah, and we're sure that there's many more things we can talk about with you, such as comics and more comics. And <laughs> more, you know, comics to Julia. Legend of Korra, also things. That also, anything Avatar. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yes. <laughs> no, All right. You. Okay. you guys may not know this. They're co-writing graphic together now. No, we're not. Oh, well, technically. Um, yeah, we are. Well, I mean, there's the one thing, but um, I'm going to go. Thing well, the... No, it, before it, it... I mean, like, well, you're integrating your, your fanfic into the same continuity? Yeah, we're de- yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah we're yeah. we're DC. We're ironing out the We creases. did some with the okay. new, um... And we already yeah. rewrote. Yeah. We did that. And then we're, we, and then we are going to co-write a, a piece that's ridiculous, but that's not the point. <laughs> Wait, no, we're not doing, we're not doing, oh, that. Yeah. Yes. yes. We are going to, well, no, and then the other thing. Yeah, and right. And then the other okay, thing. Okay, so comprehensible. Yep. <laughs> okay, I'm going to go before this gets wor- worse. Yep. Or better. <laughs> Bye, have fun. I'm gonna, I'm Bye. Gonna go. Bye. Yes, you're a true liberator, aren't you? Alright, so Griffin's gone. That means we can talk about him behind <laughs> his back. Yeah. Kate Kane is so lame. I think he's a little bit obsessed with Batwoman. Yeah, he likes comics too much. <laughs> you know, actually, it's it's funny. We, we're doing a little bit of time travel with our editing. It's actually a couple days after, <laughs> and the new Detective Comics came out, and I'm my headspace is so in Kate Kane like black hole mode right now that I can't even really hear a word against it. <laughs> I'll be perfectly honest, but no, that brings us to our next segment, and here I thought it just might be fun 
So we are three ladies that consume media, mm-hmm. correct? And, you know, one interesting thing is that it still is a little bit of a novelty to have female protagonists. Not amazingly a novelty anymore, but if you just look at the body of what's released, it's still refreshing. Mm-hmm. As a result, like, especially growing up, we had to kind of latch on to more side characters Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to some extent. And I thought it might be fun if we could talk about our favorite side characters who we wish had been foregrounded, maybe even having their own book, TV show, movie, what have you. So let's go around the circle and pick one. Gretchen, do you want to start? Sure. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Thank you. We're (laughs) professional. So, um, I, one of my favorite series growing up was Lord of the Rings. I read it yes. first when I was probably 10 years old. I've read it several times since then. That I is lofty. Yeah. I liked it. I was, <laughs> yeah, I was. Um, and I read, I mean, I'm also one of those dorks who read the Silmarillion and pretty much what everything else that he wrote. I know. I no, I read that too. I'm not gonna lie. Like that was so and it's so much more epic than Lord of the Rings, don't you agree? Yes. Totally. Totally. I mean Saren I is just some little bitch lieutenant. <laughs> <laughs> so that being said, my character that I came up with who I wish had been foregrounded more is Galadriel. And mm. this is a discussion that Katie and I have had on one of her posts on her Lord of the Rings reread. Is she uh Galadriel is so awesome and she has so little space in Lord of the Rings and you realize just how awesome she is when you read the Silmarillion. Didn't she do like a Nymeria kind of thing? Yeah. 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 She was so in the history of Middle Earth, I'm not going to go too much into it, but go into it. (laughs) We only have 20 minutes for this segment, guys. I'm going to cut us off. I'm just going to say different (laughs) groups of elves migrated to Middle Earth at different times and in different ways. And Galadriel was one of the groups of elves who migrated by basically crossing the equivalent of the polar ice cap with a bunch of other elves who are fleeing from, like, Amon, which is, like, paradise. And so she does this. She's one of the leaders of it. And there's the whole thing with Feanor and the Silmarils. And she's just, anyway, she's awesome. She's a badass and yes she is um in a good way though and when you meet her again in lord of the rings she's this very calm wise person and you realize like she has this huge character arc that just never happens on screen never happens on the page well she does this thing where she like rejects the power of the ring or something right she's like no not gonna take the ring you can kind of tell it's a huge moment for her it is well that was that was in the movie it was she became a negative and that's big because she's connected to fanor and the silmarils where like one of her fanor was corrupted by the power of a magic item the silmarils and Mm -hmm. so for her to be tempted with basically the same offer and reject it is a huge moment of not just rejecting Sauron and the ring, but rejecting like that part of her heritage and saying like, no, that's not who I am anymore. That's not who I want to be. And I mean, she's, she's an elf, so she doesn't really qualify in like age the same way humans do, but 
she's older. She's one of the oldest elves in Middle Earth. And I'm a huge fan of having older women as protagonists. Um, <laughs> she, let's see, what else? I had a whole list of things that I loved. Oh, yeah, that moment where she rejects the ring is, cause she has one of the rings of power. Mm-hmm. And so her, so she's really powerful elf in the land. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm kind of rambling because I love her so much. Um, but anyway, I would like to see her. I feel like that, that that's the theme of this episode is just gushing about random characters. Random female right. characters. Random female characters specifically. Yeah. The yeah. other thing I wanted to say is even like Sauron is afraid of her. Like Sauron, Dark Lord, like evil villain is afraid of her. Like she says that he searches for her every day. And he's trying to find her because he's afraid of her and what she can do. And she re- has to resist him every day. She wakes up every day resisting the power of Sauron and hiding herself and protecting her people. And, like, there's just so much to her that... Does she have just internalized get- guilt? I don't know. But I'm sure <laughs> she could. <laughs> I could make her have internalized guilt if I were writing this story. It wouldn't surprise me, given the history of her people... You could project it onto her. Yes. Yay! I'm Yay! Good at but anyway, that's who I want to see because she's awesome. And we only get little glimpses of her and she's like my favorite character in Lord of the Rings. So, who's next? Kylie's next. Because I have, I have the best one, so I have to go last. That's true. <laughs> that's true. We do kind of have to true. save the best for last year. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I, I saw a lot of posts. I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk about Harry Potter. I think that's something we can all. Or mostly, at least, know know a bit about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and there's really popular social media posts where it's like Hermione should have been the protagonist. Hermione, Hermione, and uh, it's Hermione takes on the patriarchy. But we we kind of were sh- were shown her up close and personal. I agree as a point of view character, she would have been a lot more interesting. Observant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she would ask questions. <laughs> yeah, and maybe like, but why Dumbledore? <laughs> But uh, I've actually, for some reason, Ginny was always a character that just grabbed me completely the right way. Um, I think it was especially in book five when J.K. Rowling realized, oh, I want a love interest for Harry and I forgot to give Ginny a personality, mm-hmm. so let me start now. And she gave her a personality <laughs> and it's it's really nice and, and kind of like assertive and snarky and, and great. But the longer you think about Ginny's character the more you realize just how badly she was shafted by the narrative. And I think part, okay. So the second book, right? Yep. She's like this little tiny, like 11 year old. Yeah. She's 11. She's 11. She stumbles into the possession of an artifact of the fucking dark Lord who then proceeds like in her emotionally vulnerable I'm at boarding school for the first time and no one likes me 11-year-old mindset accidentally pours her soul literally. to this corrupting journal literally which then proceeds to possess her into murdering chickens and like attacking her fellow students and petrifying them to the point where they're not sure they're actually going to wake up like, and, and, you know, eventually, oh, and then, you know, she she's going to then go and, and take herself down and, and die willingly as a host yeah. for this Dark Lord to rise again. And all this happens, and like, okay, at the end of book two, she cries. She gets some hot chocolate. 
Yep. She, and then at the beginning of book three, she sees Harry again and she just like gets embarrassed and runs away. And Harry's just like, oh, it's gotten worse because, you know, that experience in the chamber, like now she's even more shy. It's like, um, it's such a missed opportunity because they have shared trauma. They both have the Dark Lord in their head. I know. <laughs> like, are you fucking kidding me? And, and she even so- says that at some point. She's just like, why didn't you ask me about what it's like to be possessed by Voldemort? Because I kind of know. Yeah, that was in Order of the Phoenix. And I think that was the moment I actually fell in love with her character. Because, like, anyone who remembers Order of the Phoenix, Harry's, like throwing shit fits every minute mm. and like i'm so very tortured and, yeah. i mean t- he is dealing with a lot like in fairness but he thinks he's being possessed remember they're trying to teach him occlumency and all that yes and Ginny is like you know maybe if you fucking talked to me i could tell you what it feels like to be possessed by the dark lord and he's like i forgot <laughs> And she goes, lucky you, as in like, I haven't. Fuck you. I I can't forget. I can't forget. This is like a part of me. And then then Harry's just like, oh, I'm sorry. And she's like, okay, well, I'll help you. And she proceeds to be delightful and helpful. And then later in the book, she still offers to help him. And he's like snapping at her. And she's like, okay, whatever. And Luna's just in the background like, you're being rather rude. (laughs) (laughs) But no, seriously, the longer you think about Ginny, and it's sort of that background suffering. And Mm -hmm. maybe this is why I'm so drawn to Asami also now that I think about it. But it's it's just, she, she has so much trauma in the background. And then... All that we hear about is, oh, she likes Quidditch and dates a lot of boys. What? Why is this the focus? I guess that would be Harry's focus. I guess that kind of makes sense. POV bias is a bitch. Remember, like, she was at Hogwarts, too, when the the Death Eaters had taken over. She was, she was, Mm -hmm. like, trying to keep the DA going when she's going to classes and they're like, oh, you should attack your fellow students. Which, again, I feel like is another missed opportunity because if she has PTSD... Like, throwing herself into sports and dating a lot of boys and making out with them could yeah. maybe be part of her trauma. Yeah, maybe, like, it's a coping mechanism. Right? A little bit. Um, And what I've always felt, what I felt more and more, and I, this is, like, getting off into a super canon divergent thing, but truthfully, after seeing where J.K. Rowling takes the canon with... Cursed child, I don't know why uh. I care. <laughs> but, you know, Ginny, Ginny and Luna sort of have this unbreakable friendship that we see, like, at the beginning of Order of the Phoenix, she's like, oh, that's just loony. But by the end of, like, they're just kind of inseparable. And Ginny's, like, screaming her defense in the next books and stuff like that. And they just have this really good bond and they seem to get each other. And even Ginny's, like, happy when Harry, you know, offers to take Luna to Slughorn's Ball and all that. And I felt more and more that these two are kind of perfect for each other, as mm. like romantically, and also shared trauma because of Luna's hellish experience with the whole Malfoy matter and, and mm. all of that. So what I want is the fucking Ginny Weasley Chronicles. I don't want her to become a goddamn sports writer after that. That's that's the career that J.K. Rowling thought of for her. That does not fit with her personality at all, in my no. opinion. And also, like my dad's a sports writer. It's not very glamorous. It's not, it, that's just like, what, why? Why are you picking this? Oh, she liked Quidditch. What else could she do related to Quidditch? She could write about it. As if, as if every like high school sports player grows up to do that for the rest of their life. What career would also, you have or have then, Kylie? 
Ooh, that's an interesting question. You know, I actually have thought about it. It would be, I mean, it would probably be something ministry related, but to be honest, I've always found a lot of that not very well flushed out. Mm-hmm. So mm. I think it depends. Um, she has a penchant for hexes. So I don't know if there's a field of study for that, but it would be something proactive. I can't see her sitting idle for too long. I definitely can't see her sitting behind a desk writing out a deadline. Nope. Like, what? So I don't know. I'd I'd have to give that a little more thought, but I do want to see the Ginny Weasley Chronicles where she realizes maybe I should date Luna. (laughs) But even, even if not, just like having that more in the focus and maybe having, you know, her trauma explored. And I'm sure, I'm sure Luna was able to kind of get at it with her even before her own experiences, Mm because that's who Luna is. Right. And we know that Luna, we know canonically that Luna has trauma of some kind. I mean, she's she's seen her mom. She saw her mom die. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, She saw someone die. Like that's a, that's a pretty fucking deal. And she's just that person who will be like, let's talk about this without feeling like, you know, she's able to pull it out of Harry and Harry is scared of emotions. So (laughs) yeah, he is. I mean, it doesn't turn her emotions into numbers. (laughs) (laughs) That's like, it's endearing. It's Harry. It's a character flop. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, that, that, that's just what I would I would want to see. God, I, I, you, this career question is driving me crazy. I'm like, why don't I have an answer for it? <laughs> well, I could see her following in Charlie's footsteps. Being a that, dragon. That's not a stretch to me. Whatever he does with just, dragons. Just like whatever animal shit that he does. Like I could see her doing something of that kind. Or just like helping Luna get weird fucking stories for the Quibbler. Like... <laughs> Not that she'd be writing them, she'd be like seeking them out. You know, field journalism, maybe that kind of thing. But magical field journalism. Magical field. I could see them teaming up and like traveling the world in search of interesting stories. Yeah. And Crumplehorn's North Blacks. Yes. And also being a couple. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so there you go. Someone <laughs> someone write that fic or I'll write that fic, but that is what I want to see. <laughs> Julia. Alright. So when Kylie and I wrote our simplified Bay of Dragons retrospective. We actually talked about our favorite character, and a lot of people, I think, assumed we were joking. Yeah, in Game of Thrones. In Game of Thrones, yes. doesn't know what we're talking about. A lot of people assumed we were joking, but we were not joking. We were not joking. All right? Our favorite character in that plotline, by far, was who we call the evil sex worker of False Tears. So this is this is Daenerys's plotline yes. and Tyrion's, I guess it became. Yeah, well, she when she first appeared in season five, where she was like luring Unsullied into positions where they can be slaughtered by the sons of the Harpy, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. That, and we were like, "Who is this woman? She's like, you know, a sex worker." So we kind of like assumed like she was a sex slave at some point, and she was recently freed, but she's still like, mm-hmm. you know, in in sex work and. So she's a former slave who's for the strawmen of the Harpy who are really pro-slavery. Like, why? We want to know more. Right. And and in season five, I mean, she was kind of just a meme because yeah. she basically fake cried <laughs> and then wiped her tears away and looked really evil. The evil sex worker of false tears. Yeah. Well, and she was never followed up on. No. Like, she, like, did that and then was like, that was yeah, that was, in, that was in episode four. And so, but then all of a sudden in season six, she turns up again. Varys, like, calls her up to the pyramid and is like, I know all about what you do for the Sons of the Harpy. And, like, then she, he, like, gives her a bag of silver and he tells her all about how her name is Vala and she has a son named Dom who might have cystic (laughs) fibrosis. 
and she got she like fucks off to Pentos, and then we don't see the strumming of the harpy until the very end of the series when they're being killed by Fabio. So we were like, was she the brains of their operation? But because you forgot the part too, where like in this scene with Ferris, she's like talking against conquerors coming in, so she has like very strong. Yeah, views. she has very strong. Like she's just like you know, I fight against like you know these conquerors because I don't like colonization basically, and she's all like standing up for her culture. Like, so was she not? A, so was she like a master before this? We have no way of knowing. And like, <laughs> nope. so yeah, so we're like, okay, so this woman was, a, you know, she's very educated. She speaks, you know, the common tongue with a nice British accent, obviously. So she, yeah, she was, she was a master. Let's go with that. So then, well, she, yeah, because she actually even waved Varys off of speaking to her in Valyrian. Yeah. So then, so she like went into sex work to spy on the Unsullied. Is that what happened? And she's or to lure them into trust. So she, she is totally the brains. Of the Strawman of the Harpy operation. And without she her... She is the Harpy. She is the Harpy. And without her, they were completely paralyzed. They couldn't do anything for, like, like seven episodes. They were just lost without her. And they didn't really do a whole lot good in episode 10. No. They were just kind of, like, killing random people outside the city for no reason. Because <laughs> they're aimless. They're aimless they, without yeah, their they, leader. They, yeah, and she's just, like, in Pentos, just living it up. <laughs> With her, with her son. With her son Dom and her giant bags of silver. Yeah. <laughs> I hope she was able to get a medical treatment. <laughs> but, like, yeah, we, we are actually intrigued by this character and we want to know more about her. I mean, obviously, like, that, her being the harpy doesn't really make a lot of sense with what they're trying to present us, which is that the foreign influence do you think, do you th- funded the harpy. Yeah, do you think D&D have any idea who the harpy is? No. No. I don't think they've given, given any, any thought, thought to no, it. No, not at all. I don't think they've given it any thought. So, like, obviously this comes apart with a minimal level of scrutiny, but, like, the thing Welcome about to Game the of sex Thrones. worker of... <laughs> the right? thing about the sex worker of false tears that I think amuses the most is, like, out of all the characters to bring back and to follow up on, <laughs> this is what you do? And, like, in this context, the implication is supposed to be that because of her, Varys figured out the great mystery that the outside slavers were funding the Harpy. Because how could anyone have intuited that otherwise? Yeah. Like, so... You mean the most uh, obvious answer? Oh. Like, it, they brought her back to answer a mystery that wasn't a no. mystery. And they did it in the longest fucking scene possible. <laughs> like, what? we know so much about her now. We do. We, we don't, I think we don't, like, she has a better fleshed out character than some of the major characters on that show. Yeah. Which is funny because she's non-canonical. Mm-hmm. Like, they put so much effort. Or what, it's no effort at all, but it, like, creates this unintentional story (laughs) because of their laziness. It's a reverse honeypot. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I want to, I want to know about her travels, though. That's, that's what you want is, do you want, like, to know her story when she was in Marine? Yeah, yeah, I want, I want to hear the story about this girl from, like, a wealthy family who decides to, like, you know, go into the dark underbelly of the city so she can fight for her cause. Yeah. And also, that, I want to hear us. the story about how she ran away from her marriage to Andrews Ironwood. Yes. That's not a headcanon that we're letting get out of control or anything. No. <laughs> oh my god. We're shameless. We are. 
All right. Well, I think that does it for this segment. Mm-hmm. And another Game of Thrones possibility: Fat Walda. Oh, it's Fat Walda. <gasps> yeah, she's yeah, are by far our favorite character in the Winter Hell Redux. So, ugh, remember when she was fed to dogs? We'll talk about it later. <laughs> yeah, you guys have that coming up, don't you? Yeah, well, we've got the Aria podcast podcast and um, retrospective next, so we'll have some fun with Lady Crane School of Medicine, and then we're somehow gonna tackle the Winterhell conglomerate. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't even know. No. Remember when John was dead? Like, that's that's a whole plot line. <laughs> Remember uh, that that um, Lady Melisandre is old. Right, remember that? I they actually did, don't. They did so much with that. Oh my god. There was so much payoff for that really voyeuristic scene of her being an, actually an old lady. An old lady going to bed, yeah. There's another lady I wouldn't mind knowing more about is Melisandra and her, the adventures of her old titties. <laughs> I want to know all about the support bra she wears. On that note, we're going to wrap up. Um, if you like hearing us blather about Game of Thrones like we're starting to, then <laughs> check out Unabashed Book Snobbery, which uh, Julie and I are doing. We're also going to try to do some book-only yeah, episodes. Yeah, possibly with Gretchen. Like, topics including patriarchy brain, <laughs> aka Catelyn Stark, uh, maybe some other character-specific ones. I don't know. The world's our oyster. We also, for the Fundamentals, there's a couple other podcasts that we have. There's the Ladies First podcast, which discusses the fem slash fandom in particular. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Lots of fun. Gretchen's on that one. Uh, and we have, I believe, coming up a comics podcast that we should probably have waited till it comes out to announce. So stay tuned for words on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think a movie one might be in the works, too. So if you like podcasts... All the podcasts. Listen to all the things. We have the best podcasts. They're <laughs> tremendous. Don't, don't you start. <laughs> don't you start. If you, if you like this one, then you should leave us a review and, or a rating, I guess, but reviews help us a lot more on iTunes, mm-hmm. uh, or whatever app you're listening to us through. Or you should tell a friend about us and be like, hey, these girls said some nifty things. Gretchen rambled it? for a while. Kind, kind of, of incoherently. Woman, though. <laughs> yeah. We just ramble. If you like listening to rambly things. We're good at that. Mm-hmm. We have skills. And otherwise, thank you all for listening. See you in two weeks, guys. Yep. Yeah, we'll talk to you next time. Segment break. Ba ba ba. Ba 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 ba. Da da da.